Okay. Well, um, back in April, the Holy Spirit told me that I would preach the first week of August. So I am here this morning on assignment because I know that there is somebody here that needs to hear a word from God. Um, saying that, I also want to just say how honored I am to be in this house. I love preaching, and I consider it a privilege to be in this house this morning because this house means so much to Steve and I, not just as our job as pastors, but it represents years and years that Steve and I have spent praying for Post Falls, Idaho. If you didn't know, um, seven years ago, the Holy Spirit told us to come to Post Falls, Idaho. We drove around, actually this neighborhood, we never knew the River Church existed. We drove around and prayed that we would do ministry in Post Falls. We actually didn't even know that the River Church existed until the fall last year. Um, but we knew and we spoke words that someday we would do ministry here. And I don't take it lightly that God is a God that fulfills his promises. Am I right? Amen. Um, I love the series that Steve's been doing on the names of God. You, have you enjoyed it? Um, I think it's so beautiful. In our prayer room this morning, we were talking about how God is the God of whatever we need, there is a name for him, right? He gives us what we need, and we can call on that name. And this morning, my name of God is Jehovah Goel. Jehovah Goel. We've learned that the name Jehovah means I am or he will be. The word Goel means the Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. Our Redeemer who buys us back from death to life. So today, we are talking about Jehovah Goel. He is our redemption. Um, the story of the Bible from front cover to back cover, is the story of God being Jehovah Goel in our lives. It's the story of redemption. It is a love story. On a macro level, it is the story of humanity's fall, our broken relationship with our creator, and then God's plan for reconciliation and redemption. Throughout the narrative of the Bible, we see how God is constantly in the business of redeeming. He's constantly buying back what is already his. But the Bible doesn't simply tell the tale of humanity's redemption in just the abstract, but also, also in individual tales. We've seen so many men and women in the Bible, like Abraham and Moses and David, commit sin, and then we get to witness their redemption after their repentance. In order for redemption to work, and operate, we need to see it from God's perspective. And that perspective of his is his role in redemption. He calls himself our Goel, our Redeemer. Now, I would argue I might be the most boring individual alive. I am boring. Um, I've got a new job that I'm about ready to start, and they send out a, what is your hobbies form? And I have nothing for them, okay? I 
aspire to have cool hobbies, like kayaking or hiking or crocheting or knitting. Like in my head, I'm all these things. But I find cleaning my house extremely therapeutic. If I have free time, I'm probably cleaning my house because I love to go to Target and shop the cleaning supply aisle. It's my thing. And that's why I say I'm boring because that's what I do. I also have four kids and, you know, I'm always going to a practice or a game or something. But if I do have any free time, I'm always reading. If I'm on my phone, I'm probably reading a book. I have to fight when I'm stopped at a stoplight not to open my phone because I want to read the next page. And I am a sucker for a good love story. I do. I, that's my thing. I read historical fiction and I like a good love story. But today we're going to talk about one of the most intriguing love stories in the Bible. Now, I wouldn't call this like the notebook type love story where you like swoon at the characters and really dream about yourself in that role because this is more of like straight up soap opera, okay? Like I used to watch with my grandma when I was little. She was a Days of Our Lives girl. So every day, Stefano, Marlena, this is more that, okay? This is one of those, oh, no, she didn't kind of love stories, okay? The book of Hosea is the first book in a 12-book series, and he is considered a minor prophet. The minor prophets are called minor not because they're not important, but because their stories are shorter than the major prophecies like Isaiah or Ezekiel. Um, now, prophets had jobs or assignments from the Lord. Some would be foretelling the of Jesus Christ or making known the word of God. Um, Hosea specifically was called to tell God's people, Israel, and call them back into obedience with him. It was written at a time where God's people had lost their, as my grandma would say, their ever loving. Okay? They, were, they had gone crazy. They had gone mad. And they had lost their faith, and they had forgotten that God was their first love. God wanted his people back. He missed them and longed for a relationship, that love relationship that they once had. Um, now, Steve has talked before in sermons about our puppy, Sunny. We have this sweet eight-month-old puppy. Um, in our entire family, we love this dog. There she is with Izzy. Um, we love this dog. She is sweet. She's fun. She's brought so much joy into our family. But she is obsessed with our kids, like crazy obsessed. The most stressful time in Sunny's life is when two of the boys are out in the driveway playing basketball, and then two of the other kids are outside on the trampoline, she goes crazy. She doesn't know who she has to be with. So she's running back and forth, back and forth, trying to figure out which kid she should, she should be with at that moment, and it is so stressful for her. You can see it in her eyes, like, why can't you all play together? <laughs> but it's sheer panic. Um, and so one night this week, Steve took the kids swimming, and I stayed home, because I'm boring, and it's one of the saddest but sweetest moments because this big 80-pound puppy, the minute the kids leave, jumps on our couch. And we have this huge picture window that looks out. And she sits there, and she just waits and waits 
and waits for these kids to come home. I mean, hours. She didn't move. And I, I tried to convince her with like a treat, with a toy, food, nothing. She just wanted those kids to come home. And I think there's, oh, sweet Sunny. There's a picture of her. And she's a Labradoodle. And so she's crazy smart. And we live about 12 houses down from the main road that you have to turn on to come onto our street. I'm serious. The minute that car turns onto the street, she starts going crazy. She can hear that car. And she jumps, she stands by the door, and I mean, she is all over the place because she knows her kids are coming home. And so I was watching this whole situation this week when the kids were gone, and I realized that, oh my goodness, our God is the same way with his kids, us. He waits so patiently for us to come home, and he relishes us being back with him. Nothing can keep him from us when we come home. Now, the book of Hosea, we don't get much background on the man Hosea before the book, but we do know that Hosea was a good, God-loving man. He was faithful and honorable, and God uses his life to remind his people that regardless of his choices, he wants to woo his people back to him. So God tells this most unlikely soap opera-like love story in order to convince his people to come home. Now, Hosea was this honorable man, and he, God says to him, I know you're a good man, and I know you've been praying for a wife, and boy, do I have one for you. So God takes Hosea, tells him to get married, and he marries this girl named Gomer. And he uses the relationship with this girl as a metaphor for God's people who have gone so terribly wrong and so terribly far, but he can't express his love for them and wants them back. And so we read God's ultimate love story, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So in our day, this might not be a politically correct thing to say, right? But the Bible doesn't mince words. God says what God says. But this story doesn't really seem fair or right for Hosea because it doesn't make sense. Hosea is a good man. He's faithful. So we would think that God would give him this pure, beautiful wholesome woman who loves Jesus, and they would have this beautiful Old Testament Cinderella story. But in God, instead, God says, no, I want you to marry the woman you would never pick. She might be wearing a tube top and Daisy Dukes. Every man in town might know her. But this is who I want Hosea to give his heart to. And the next three words in verse 3 of the Old Testament are so beautiful. The next three words say, so he went. So he went. Hosea went. Hosea was able to obey when he couldn't see the future. He was able to obey even if he didn't want to, agree with, or think it was a good idea. 
he couldn't see God's plan. And this type of obedience only comes from spending so much time with God that you don't care what the ending is. You just know the ending is him. Hosea knew that no matter what God had planned for him, he would make it work, and it would work for his glory. So he went. He didn't have to pray about it or ask questions. And I need that kind of obedience in my own life, that no matter what God says, I just go. So we find um, Hosea here finding Gomer and asking her to marry him. Now, Gomer knows Hosea because Hosea has the reputation of being a good, obedient man. But I would have loved to be in the town during all this because you know townspeople were talking, right? They might have had rumors or laughter, probably definitely in shock that Hosea would marry Gomer. But I bet that Gomer might have been the most shocked of all. So they get married and they have three babies together. So God tells Hosea that he wants to name their babies and he wants to give each of their babies a prophetic name speaking to Israel through the names of their children. So the first child that they have together is a son and his name from God is Jezreel. Jezreel means scattered. God said, my people have scattered from me. Now, it, this wasn't an unusual thing for a dad to name their son, especially their firstborn son. And in this context, God had this hard, rough, prophetic name because he wanted to, the people to know, you are scattered from my love. Hosea and Gomer get pregnant again, and this time a daughter. And God tells them to name their daughter Lo-Ruama. And that name means no more mercy. God loves his people, and he wants to bring them back to him. But they have gone so far that God needed to encircle them with discipline. Because he's a loving God, but he disciplines us to show us that we're his. So he needed to bring them back to him. Sometimes when my kids are fighting or I've had enough, I said, I'm not playing with you anymore in a sweet way. <laughs> but God is the same way. And he named this baby No More Mercy because God cannot be party to sin any longer. God could not play with their sin. So she gets pregnant for a third time, and again God names this baby. And this one must have been the most heartbreaking for Hosea because this sweet baby didn't look like him. And it was a little boy, and they name him Lo-Ami, which means not mine. You are no longer my people. That was a word to God, to, from God to his people in Israel, but also it symbolized Gomer. Because this was the point that she went back to her old life. She was a prostitute before she met Hosea and got married, but she left him and her babies and went back to that life. She left all of it behind to go back to her sin. Now Gomer leaves and she goes back to selling her body. But soon that didn't work anymore. And so then she's forced to sell herself into slavery. And if you study ancient history, you learn that in these ancient slave markets, they would strip the slave down naked 
and they would put them on a stone to elevate them. And only men could bid on slaves. And like you're shopping for a piece of fruit at a Super One or a grocery store, the buyers would walk around and they would look at each of the slaves up and down, trying to choose which one they wanted. They wanted to make sure if they were choosing a man, that he was strong. And if they were buying a woman, she was still fertile or attractive. But Gomer, people knew her in this town. And so I'm sure that there was lots of words said as they walked past her. Maybe they said something like, why would I pay for her when I had, had her for free? I would love to have known what was going through Gomer's mind at this point and what was she thinking. Did she wonder how she had gotten there or how far she had fallen or why her life turned out like this? Did she ever think about those babies? And it's so easy for us to villainize her at this point, right? She left this good, obedient, sweet, godly man. Maybe she deserves this. Or from my heart, how can a woman leave her babies? Maybe she got what was coming to her. Until I remember my own story. And it's not as quite as colorful as hers. I've never left my babies. I've never prostituted my body. But how many times have I compromised and given my heart away to things when all God wants is just our hearts? If you um, have some time today, go through Hosea chapter 2 because it's a beautiful tale. It is God's heartbreak for his people of Israel. And it speaks so much. But we're going to go to Hosea chapter 3. And the Lord speaks to Hosea at this point. Now, Hosea's wife is gone. He has his babies. He's raising these babies by himself. But the Lord speaks to Hosea and says, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods. So I, Hosea, bought her for 15 shekels of silver. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days and shall not play the horror or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar. And afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord for his goodness in the latter days. Hosea 3 says, Go again, Hosea. Go find her. Now, where it says Israel, it means Israel. But prophetically, it speaks to us. It means God's love for the entire world. Go find her, Hosea. Go find her. But what is interesting to me is what happens after the comma. Go again, comma. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress just like the Lord loves the children of Israel. Can you imagine what a heart-wrenching process this was for Hosea? Go find your wife that you love, who was a former prostitute and left you and your babies alone to go back into prostitution. Where do you go? Where do you find her? How messy and painful was that pursuit for Hosea? 
as he walks through the streets searching for the love of his life, the mom to his kids. But here is Hosea searching, yearning for his wife. Verse 2, so I bought her for myself. Wait, Hosea, this is already your wife. She's already yours. And what was that like? What was his thoughts when he sees her standing there, maybe on a stone, naked? Was she shackled? Was she waiting for the highest bidder? But she'd been working so long, maybe there was no bidder for her. Hosea sees her and says, excuse me, sir, that's my wife. I will pay for her. I will pay for what is already mine. The Bible says that Hosea is a picture of God, but it's but you and I are the picture of Gomer. The word says the Bible, or sorry, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of mankind is a unique possession of the creation and creator God. Yet 2,000 years ago, paid a price for his bride. He sent his son who spilled his he owned. And that is our God. That is our Jehovah Goel. Our God is willing to buy back what is already his. So here we are, Gomer, sold into slavery. Her husband buys her back. And what is that exchange like? What did Gomer say to Hosea as they head back home? I'm sure she hung her head in embarrassment. Shame, he found me. I left him. I abandoned him and our kids. Yet he insists on finding me and buying me back. You see, church, those men sought her to buy her, to use her. But Hosea sought to buy her, to heal her. And that is real redemption. That is the heart of our Jehovah Goel, our Redeemer. His heart is to buy us back for the purpose of healing. On a personal level, the story of, of God and him being our Goel and redemption is so real and so personal to me because it's the idea of adoption. And when God, or, sorry, when Steve told me that, I, that he wanted me to preach, he told me I could preach on anything I wanted. And I said, well, I'm not going to preach about adoption because I don't want everybody to think I'm a one-trick pony and that's all I can preach about. But then I realized I have to speak about adoption because it's who I am. And it is my heartbeat, and it's my why. And so in our family, we talk about how everybody in our family has a story, and everybody has the right to tell their own story. And so I asked Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can I tell a little piece of your story today? And I told him, and he said, yes, tell my story, Mama. And as you know, Zeke was adopted from China. And for many reasons, children in China are left. There's about 400,000 orphans today in China. Um, and some are due to their former one child per family law. Um, many families want boys to carry on their family name, so many daughters, girls are left and abandoned. The Chinese pride themselves on having an ideal family, a perfect family, especially if they're only planning on having one child. But if a child is born, um, that they would consider less than or not perfect, a lot of times they're left. And many are abandoned because of finances. Um, they simply cannot afford to care for their child. In China, abortion's not a thing. So women have their children and they leave. Some will leave, with a um, leave their child with a finder's note. 
with health history and information, maybe their name, their birth date, but others won't. And Ezekiel was a miracle from birth. He was said to be abandoned in a forest, completely wrapped in a blanket and left on the ground at night, presumably to die. There was no note or information left with him, all leading people to believe that he was never expected to be found. Um, God was so merciful and sent somebody that night, in the night, to find him. He was crying and someone heard him and they got him and they took him to a local hospital. And from there, he was given a misdiagnosis of cerebral palsy and he was sent to live at a children's hospital hours away. Now this hospital was run by a private doctor who was said to have more than 800 children living there at that time. His care was good. The doctor who I've spoken with since we've left China um, loved Zeke. He had favor with this doctor. And Zeke sat in a crib, laid in a crib for about a year and a half, um, all by himself. But then they realized, this kid can walk, and he can talk, and he's pretty smart. So they put him in a, a preschool-type program with only 10 children from this whole hospital that were high-functioning. And because of this high-functioning label, they suggested that he's available for adoption. And then I saw him, and I wanted him. <laughs> I pursued him with zeal. There's a, our very first, that was him. That's the first picture I saw of him. And then the next one is our very, oh, <laughs> future starts now. That was the first, one of the first pictures I took of him. I wanted him so badly when I saw his face. And it took, our adoption was only 10 months start to finish. Many are about 18 months because I wasn't playing around. I wanted him. Nothing stopped me from going and getting him. And God does his most beautiful work when the situations look the most bleak. Am I right? His biggest miracles are taking death and making life from him. Zeke was meant to die, comma. But God said, go find him. Oh, and what a beautiful treasure he is. One of our favorite adoption quotes comes from an adoptive dad named Derek Lux. He and his wife lost their only child when he was only eight years old. And so they decided to adopt from the Ukraine. And they went over and adopted three children at the same time. All these little boys would need lifelong care. One Down syndrome, one spina bifida, and one severe mental retardation. So during his three-month stay in Ukraine, he wrote a letter to the adoption community about his experiences. And he wrote this being tired and worn out. I've been there, questioning whether it was all worth it in the end. And this is Steve and I's favorite adoption quote. My friends, adoption is redemption. It is costly, it's exhausting, expensive, and outrageous. Buying back lives costs so much. When God set out to redeem us, it killed him. And when he redeems us, we can't appreciate or comprehend it, just like Zeke will never fully comprehend what China was like, but he will live in the fruit of a new life. And as his mom, I'll never expect that he'll understand or ever thank me. I just want to watch him live in the benefits of our family love and experience what it's like to be ours. 
And I know that this is how God feels about us. At the end of Zeke's adoption, we got hit with a bunch of fees that we didn't know anything about. We were tapped at this point. And people with their sweet best intentions kept coming up to me saying, how much more is this going to cost? <laughs> but for me, all I wanted was the finish line. I just wanted to bring that baby home. I wanted to hold him and I needed to help him heal. And I wanted him to feel love. And when people asked me how much more this was going to cost, I said, whatever it takes. And that is God's voice for his people. He loves and will whatever it takes. With adoption comes beauty, but it also comes pain and trauma. And time can heal some, and some scars are forever and ever and never seem to get better. It seems like it's one step forward and three steps back. But we have to keep going, and whatever we go through, Steve and I look at each other almost every day, and we say, this is not our fault. We didn't do this. Our job is to help them heal. And adoption and raising kids has taught me something about God's heart. He takes the places we need healed the deepest and those hardest places of our brokenness. Because not only does he desire that we're healed and whole, but more, he desires that we're his. And God is in the business of healing. And healing in the sweet name of Jehovah Goel, our Redeemer. So I'm going to invite Sherry to come up this morning. And I know that some of us this morning are standing on a stone. And we're standing on a stone like Gomer was, a stone of shame. God, we love God, but we feel so ashamed and we cannot freely give ourselves to him. And if this is you, God is saying that it's time for you to forgive yourself. This is a lie of the enemy that shame is keeping us from God's love. It is a seat to make us feel shamed when it's God's heart to forgive. But some people in this room today are on a stone where we need emotional healing. God is in the healing business today. He wants to be your Jehovah Goel, and he wants to take and buy back your life, not for the purpose of shaming you, but for the purpose of healing you. And so this morning, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come up, because I know that there's somebody in here that needs to be healed of an emotional trauma. And so... When I, when I pray, if you need to come up and pray with one of our prayer partners, please come up because God sent me on an assignment this morning to tell you that you are good enough. He just wants you. And after I pray, if you want to leave, you are welcome to do so, but we're gonna stay here and have a little bit more time of ministry. So I wanna pray for you this morning. God, we thank you that you are every name in the Bible for what we need. And God, we know that today you want to be our Jehovah Goel. You want to be our Redeemer. You want to be the God who buys back what you already own. 
And God, we know that you are here to be our healer. And we know that you are the God and the only one who can change us. And so I pray over these people right now, God, if there's anything in their hearts that they need you to heal, they would give that to you. We thank you for being everything that we need. In Jesus' name.